Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. We're live. This is Pitch Deck Asia. My name's Graham Brown. We are all about showcasing some of the best and most exciting blasts from all over Asia. And when we mean Asia, we mean the Asian Pacific Rim. So Australia and New Zealand included, of course. So welcoming to the show today, all the way from Adelaide, Ian Stewart, and we're going to talk about security risk. Ian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Graham. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. Have you got people watching back home? Have you got we do, people yeah. tuning into yeah. YouTube? I think so. And most of our employees are actually in Singapore, so quite a few people are looking in from there, I'd say, too. Fantastic. Well, hello to everybody that's following Ian and Security Risk as well. If you're watching on YouTube, then please give Ian and the team a thumbs up, a vote of support. If you're following here on the webinar itself, on the live show, um, you can say hello in the chat box. If you're listening on the podcast, if you're following after the recording, then we're going to give you all the details. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll give you details of how to get in contact with Ian and the team and how to find out more about security risk. Ian, a bit about yourself first. You're based down in Adelaide. You've uh, got an interesting background. Obviously, this is something you know very well, having served for many years in the forces. What's your background? How would you describe yourself? Yeah, I've, I've done quite a few different things and, and some very diverse places. I've, I've actually had a few careers and, and uh, had some interesting times. And uh, so I've been uh, done some military service and, and overseas operations, but I've also been in the police in, in, in Australia and uh, had some operational policing experience. And then I've also actually been uh, working on services contracts you know, throughout Middle East, Africa, and uh, supporting the United Nations and a, a bunch of other um, interesting clients. And uh, most recently, in the last six or seven years, I've been working in the security industry, running a security company, and it sort of brings together a lot of the business skills, uh, military, police, and operations experience that I've had. And it sort of led me to, a couple of years ago, looking at uh, – some of the problems we've been facing in some of the outlandish places we've been working and uh, trying to work out a place, a way in which we could do it smarter, better and uh, easier. And then we, we we started with the idea of security risk uh, to try and build some smart solutions for the security industry and really focusing on those operational problems. And that's where I've landed in Singapore. Um, I'm one of the co-founders. Uh, my wife is also, she's a director of security risk and uh she, whilst I was working in the security industry, she was looking at the, the problem we had, and uh, and we started off with a very simple idea: um, oh, let's let's do an Uber or Grab or Lyft for security, and use the redundant resources in security and put them to work. But there was no critical mass there, and and uh, we we pivoted from that consumer based model to really a business solution. So we're now a software as a service launched, uh, ready for the security operations. So you came out of that initial idea to apply it, the Uber model to yeah, security. It's just such a standard way to start. At least like everyone thinks you can do it, but it's uh, it's just not it's not the problem that needs to be solved. And and then uh, Talo, who's my wife, she she worked out that uh, well, no, there's a there's a whole industry of security companies there, and did her research and actually went to some of the security operations and and with our chief technology officer. And then they incubated the idea and realized that they really need to solve the business solution. And that would be the first thing you need to do. Get a critical mass of security companies using our software 
And then there's a potential uh, consumer solution down the track once there's a network out there. And that's all, that's what we, that's what we've done. So uh, I guess our software security risk is a security risk manager as a platform as our software. It's a suite of products that solve the security operations problems, uh, for 90% of what you want to do as a security company day to day or any company that has security issues. So it's essentially a B2B play. We'll have a look at the product itself. We'll break the product down by going into the pitch deck and look at some of the the uh, visuals that you've got there. And bear in mind that some people can't see it, so we have to be a little bit descriptive as well when we talk about it. I want to start, and I usually like starting, whenever I have a startup on Pitch Deck Asia, the place I like to go first is the market size, because that gives me an understanding of the problem that you're solving. So if we can jump around a little bit on the pitch deck, Ian, slide nine, you've got the global market opportunities, which I guess is your total addressable market. And I'll describe this for those that are listening on the podcast as well. The top level addressable market that you mentioned here is the global private security market, $257 billion by estimates 2022. Is that your addressable market? Is that who you're servicing private security firms? Help me help us understand. I'm sure people who are interested in this will have an understanding of what you're talking about because they'll be from that world probably, but let's clarify it for those so there's no sort of confusion. Yeah, so, so what that'll mean is uh, is is that in a place like Papua New Guinea where I've done some work, 8% of operating expenses across all industries are spent on security. But in a, in a place like Singapore, it might be 2%. So then if you aggregate all that global data together, you get to $257 billion spent in security. Uh, and then the other interesting thing about this slide is that's across 215,000 companies across the globe. But um, in, as an industry, there's 20 million licensed security uh, guards, but there's probably three or four times that amount of unlicensed guards who are doing security roles, but they're not actually licensed. And some of those will be internal security. But even more interesting for us is which is where we where we've obviously focus their energy is only 5% of the entire industry is actually using a smart solution or a software solution or any of any type to assist in running their security operations. So that's this the, is the pie chart here, which that's uh, it, yeah. I think this needs a bit more prominence. Let's talk about it here because it's, let me try and break this down. You've got a pie chart of looking at existing solutions, 60%. Is that right? Pen and paper? Yeah, that's it. It's uh, So that's what I've been doing for the last six or seven right. years before I started security <laughs> risk. Yeah. It, when you go to it, and I've worked in, uh, you know, uh, the Congo in Africa and, and set up a, an operation there for UN fuel, y- you can only start an operation there using, a, you know, notepads and uh, laptops. And so it's going to be Excel spreadsheets. It's going to be basic business uh, tools. It's going to be notebooks and it's going to be, you know, uh, hard management in terms of um, a lot of resource and time spent on individually being across everything and the, the biggest issue in some of these places is the lack of bandwidth and and uh to actually get any sort of more complex solution where you're running off a very uh, low bandwidth network so we've looked at all that problem and uh and that's what we've tried to address effectively we, we want to move um most of the operations off using those systems because you can't you know you can't track a a spreadsheet that sits on one person's laptop, um, even with Office 365 and a SharePoint, it's still in there somewhere. And uh, and that's a good business tool, but it, but, but it's not searchable and you can't search it for the time, place and the incidents happened in security or 
you know, on that week where something went missing, was the guard doing his patrol that he was meant to do and, and those sorts of things. So that ability to, you know, or who was on site on that particular day, um, we'll have to go find the notebook log and <laughs> see what's handwritten on that day. That takes time. It's a waste of time. And, uh, and software can be put together to really grip that information up and, and bring it together really quickly. And it's not that complex of an idea to say that we just want to be able to have this information at our fingertips. Well, the good thing is, is that you take that 60% as an example. Generally, I think Excel spreadsheets is the tool of choice in here, isn't it? That that a lot of good B2B businesses started on Excel spreadsheets because it means they've worked out the workflows and they've cared enough or the pain point was real enough that somebody invested in creating a spreadsheet rather than somebody went in and think, well, I've got some technology, let's find a problem to solve. So the problem is there, people are creating workflows around it. Now it's a case of how do you make that much more efficient? So when you look at that 60% of the market, how much of that, I mean, you're talking about places like Congo and PNG, right? That How much of that is ready for a smart solution? Even Singapore is only using, is about the same. So it's amazing. Uh, you'll go into a place which is the, you know, it might be the Marina Bay Financial Center in Singapore and you'll still find a guard, a guard person using a, a handwritten logbook and, and writing things down. It's, it's, it's shocking, really. Is, it, is that the people more than the, the budgets, I guess, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people, I imagine a lot of these guards are probably of a certain background. Yeah. And that's been one of, that's definitely been one of the parameters we've tried to design our software around about, well, what's the language, literacy, numeracy issues associated with the guard force and make sure that you build something that can be used by anyone. Uh, I think the other, you make a good point about the Excel spreadsheets. The other real interesting thing about that is, is that um, everyone's, everyone can start a spreadsheet, but it's not an accountable method of reporting information. If, I mean, you can create a spreadsheet with any information you want. So if, if you had a client that wanted to know if the guards, if the guard schedules were done on a particular day, well, sure, it's in a spreadsheet or in a notebook, but what happened on the actual day? And our software gives that accountability and traceability. So you could, you could actually say, well, this happened on the day because we could actually track it. We've got a report that we can spit out. Uh, it's the same type of information, um, really, realistically gathered in the same way, but it's, re- it's recorded and reported immediately. Uh, and it, and that's just a real big difference between, between you know, what, the way we're solving the solution, uh, solving the problem, and uh, then what's been done in the past. Let's have a look at the problem then. If we can jump back on the pitch deck. Now, if we go to the earlier stages of the pitch deck, you've got slide two, start with the problem, the key pain points. Let's have a look at that. I mean, it starts at the top, which I think the first bullet point that you've got there really defines where we're going with this is that operations are people-centric. I imagine a lot of it is being based on the way things have been done for many, many years. And and they've probably been able to manage that way. And yet now we're going to have a look as well in the pitch that you mentioned some of the more recent challenges we're facing, for example, like with the pandemic and so on. But you're starting with something that's people-centric as a pain point. What else have you discovered? I mean, you've been at the coalface of this industry and you've understood it from both sides, right? You understand whether you're managing people, whether you're a part of this from their side as well. How would you describe the pain points that face security operations? 
Yeah, uh, the, the people-centric is, is a big one because you'll get a, you might have a client or you might see something yourself at a site and you'll say, well, when did this happen and how long has it been like this? Or a client will ring you up and say, look, I've just noticed that the, um, the container is not locked. You guys are meant to check that. So you'd, you'd really like to then say to the client, look, it's not our guys. We know that we're doing the right thing and we're doing what you pay us for, but you, you just don't know. So what you have to do at the moment is you have to then get in a car, go out to that site and have a look for yourself. You then need to talk to the people who are on, on the site. You need to find out who was on the site when it was last checked. And you have to talk to one person after another person and it's just really difficult to sort of pin it down. And then it takes time and, uh, and, it, and it eats up a lot of your time. Uh, it, 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 and then you eventually go back with a degree of confidence about what you think has and hasn't happened to the client, but you're not entirely sure having interviewed about five or six people and have to go to site. And you'll normally find that even when you, you go back to the client, the client will then want to come and check it for themselves. And the idea of our, our software is, and like you said, with the pandemic, it's a real sort of a potential game changer there is it enables you to look at most of these aspects without actually having to go to site. You can find out when things were last checked by looking at the system. You can, the client actually can log in and check themselves and, uh, and have a look at when something was reported. If, uh, if a guard's doing a guard patrol and finds a broken window, they take a photo. Um, straight away it goes up in the system and the notification goes out to the client and the security manager and and the owner of the security company or whoever want whoever wants to get that information and no one needs to go to site they can see there's a broken window they can see when it happened they're not finding out about it on monday and uh, it really that lack of you know that reduction in the need to get in a car go out and talk to everyone when you can get access to the information in real time is just a real big difference when you were on the ground doing security operations and managing people, how much of your time was actually spent, you know, walking the beat? It was almost like you were being a cop again, isn't it? Going out and interviewing people, talking to people. It is, and you, you actually can't afford to be anywhere uh, because you've got to be everywhere. So you, you want to be back at the office with the control room that you've got, but that's all, like I said, Excel spreadsheets, notebooks, and uh, radios. But you also want to be on site, making sure that they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, for guards, you want to make sure they're not sleeping. You want to make sure they're doing their patrols when they said they, when they're meant to be doing. You might induct some, uh, some guards into a, a site and say, well, we want hourly patrols. And, but do you really know at three in the morning if they're doing it? And for me, I'd, I'd wake up at two and three in the morning. I'd get in the car and I'd go and drive out to sites because you could never be sure. But with our software, you can actually just log on and see that they're doing those those patrols, or you can you can run a report by site, or if there's a missed patrol, you'll be told immediately, and that that distribution can go out to a the on duty manager. You can go you can go do it, uh, and it just gives you a lot more assurance and that the things that you expect to be happening, and or the things that you might be contracted to happen are actually happening, and that's then frees you up. To do instead of spending you know eighty percent of management by walking around and just checking checking checking, you can be sure that the big things are being taken care of and it, it frees you up like to go work on the business and the strategic direction and, and then maybe focusing on some more innovative solutions or some direct client issues that aren't just around making sure that the basics are being taken care of. Let's have a look at the software itself. You've got some uh, screenshots of it here. I mean, you've got, I mean, the breakdown of the product itself are pages four, five, and six on the pitch deck with the security risk manager. 
Um, before we sort of jump into it, how did this start? Were you a technical guy in any way? Could you code? Could you put together mock-ups and wireframes? How, how do you, because you had the inside management by walking around you had done that and you had you had spoken to security guys you had spoken to facilities managers you probably knew both sides and how they talked how they interacted the kind of pain points they had so you had all that insight now how did you take that insight and start turning it into a product where did it start for you yeah i think it it really was an interesting journey for us i mean just as a side note i actually met my wife in a computer science lecture first year uni we both failed that unit, so we're not technical, but uh, we did have <laughs> design. Yeah, we designed to do um, to do that at one point, but but yeah. So, but back to your question, I, I think for us, it's it was a journey where we started in the wrong spot, and we started with what we thought was the, the solution, which is the wrong way to look at it. And uh, and Tale and and our chief technology officer um, Dennis Hillmeyer's then started. They went back to a you know, a more traditional product development method around, well, what's to find the problem first and then then um, then try and overlay the solutions. And then uh, I, I took them to East Timor, I took them to Papua New Guinea and we showed them some security operations that we were running there and they just observed, they asked questions, they, they took examples of notebooks, they took examples of logs, they, um, they looked at how, you know, the architecture of an operation actually works and then they worked out the virtual environment in which they could actually replicate it and make it more efficient. So that's, they really made that, that jump uh, around getting it around connecting the, you know, the problem, the real world problem in the security industry to the solution. And then with my background, I guess I became you know, the, the product manager. Well, what's the technical aspects around? Around security, okay, yeah, that's you're you're almost there, but uh, okay, no, it needs to be like this, and no, a security manager when he's doing an incident report will be looking for this types of information and uh, and that sort of thing. So I've helped shape the technical aspects of it from a security and management perspective, but the technologies it, it was developed by the product team, or the, sorry, the development team, and with just them asking question after question. So it's been interesting. I think it's been a collaborative effort. It's been an entire company effort. We, you know, we've got about twenty employees now, and uh, and it's been everyone's made a contribution. I wouldn't say anyone has not been influential in coming up with what we've come up with. I'm curious about this trip to East Timor as well. That, I mean, you're, you're doing the 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 you know get your boots on management philosophy of going and seeing or you know the japanese call it genchi genbutsu which means go and see it's the toyota philosophy of you go and see the machines on the production line and what the workers doing that's quite a commitment as well to take them out to a place like that and how did how did that change or shape or inform their understanding of the problem yeah that's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's exactly that was like an energy burst where they they immediately pivoted to the the business solution that was needed and uh, and the consumer aspect that we sort of briefed that we initially wanted got put by the wayside because it was clear that there was there's some very basics about running a business and security that, that could be done. So seeing it firsthand, for we took developers and product managers from Singapore to to Papua New Guinea and to to, to East Timor and they've got different sort of threat environments but uh, but then it immediately gives them a, an example about well what does this stuff really mean when we say it and uh, it's a bit different to just 
talking about it uh, when you can actually see it. So when they can actually see the operations, they can then really start to think about the nature of the solution. Uh, but but from on that though, my, my wife and I we lived in uh, East Timor for three years at one point. So um, running some UN contracts and some Australian military contracts. So uh, quite familiar for us, but I think it's definitely something new and different for some of the people in our company. For your developers who, yeah, that must have been an interesting experience, but there's nothing like having that empathy for the user that comes from actually being in that situation, especially with what you're talking about, where it's very much on the ground, somebody who, you know, could be on site who you know may not be accessing tech on a, a regular basis or carrying a phone with them for example you really need to understand how they go about their job as well that's right and, and they would actually go to client sites and you know follow guards around and see how they did a patrol and that sort of stuff yeah well i'm curious now how you actually rolled that out were you with the 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 market strategy for this do you have this Insight, do you have users who actually have this in facilities? Is it live? Help us understand for those that don't know the product. So we've been we've been testing it in in Australia and Singapore, but we've actually been testing it since May last year in East Timor. So we had a, a first company that started using it and and we've rolled out various updates to them. Uh, we've tested it in Papua New Guinea and uh, we're actually rolling it out to a to a mine site at, at the moment um, that has 2,500 people and 600 guards. So it's interesting where the, the company in, in East Timor has only got about 10 or 11 sites. So it's a smaller company, but it, it, we build it to be applicable to a small or large scale operation. So yeah, it's been live and deployed for over a year now in, in, a, in a beta testing model. And, and, a, and in February this year, we more or less released the, the testing version of the one that went to market in last month. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's live. It works, and it it works in. And we always said that if it works in East Timor and Papua New Guinea, it will work anywhere. And so, uh, so far, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, how has that journey been for you in the the product and the testing? I'm always curious about, for example, what did you assume that didn't manifest you know you thought somebody was going to use this feature and then they didn't and also uh, you know what sort of insights did you get from real world usage that you didn't think about which have really informed your product moving forward so maybe you can share some of that journey with us and so what were the aha moments and what were the the failures as well that you learned along the way yeah that's that was interesting because we 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 looked at some of the the, the market space that was out there and there were some products that do just one part of what we do but, but there's nothing really integrated and some aspects so for instance there's plenty of apps or sorry there's plenty of t technology out there for one based um, security guarding systems to check if you've done your security patrols but you can't then record an incident report you can't then get an emergency response to assist you if you come across something during that patrol uh, you can't take a photo of what you found during that patrol. You can just write it down in your notebook. So then those more complex systems are generally out of reach. And, um, and, but they actually, the technology is not that much of a stretch more. So what we've done is we, we've, we went a little bit further than you would normally go for a startup. We, we had a viable go to market product on that, that guard piece, like the century. A year ago and we could have gone to market on just that but we elected to make sure we came out with a platform of a suite of products that would solve most of what security companies need so 
yeah, there's some features in there that aren't being used that much because it's it's new to market, and also um, and customers will discover the depth of the of what's available in the actual products themselves. But we wanted to make sure that we we come out with an integrated solution because it, just having a record that they've been past the guard point without them being able to do anything when they get to that that guard point is actually not much use. So, and I've had those reports sent to me before. Um, when I've been a client, a customer of running a logistics operation that, oh no, all the guard patrols have been done. Well, then why are the things in my warehouse missing? It was the question I would ask. So that report wasn't much use because I, the report told me they'd been done, but I couldn't get any real time assurance and couldn't get any photos that, of what it looked like when it was done, things like that. But our software can address that. Why was this not built already? Why? Wasn't there an integrated solution in the market available? Why did it take you to do this? I think, yeah, there, there's some there's some companies out there, but they're who are doing almost similar things, but they're they're very expensive and they're in that almost enterprise resource planning type systems, so they're out of reach and uh, financially. And uh, I think that's I don't know why someone hasn't done it. I think I think uh, no one. The fact that there's only five percent of companies using smart solutions probably leads me to believe that there's an assumption that that security isn't a technology-based um, industry and uh, maybe uh, also that uh, innovation, security doesn't really, an innovation don't necessarily go hand in hand. You, you don't think of security people being entrepreneurs or um, doing innovation and coming up with something new and different. And I think that 5% figure then really demonstrates the outcome of that. But I think it also demonstrates the opportunity for these operations to be improved and then the efficiency that you can get. Um, you, you might have a site that has, you know, 200 guards on the roster, but with this, with our, with our software and the accountability that gives you, you, you can get a lot more efficiency. You might be able to do the same job with a smarter schedule with more accountability with say 120 guards. So there's a lot of benefit in using a piece of software like what we're, what, what we've developed. And uh, I just don't know why people haven't done it. I just don't think security companies generally and technology don't go hand in hand. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know the answer. Obviously, you know the industry much better than I do. I wonder if it's because it's traditionally seen as a cost center in the business and it's traditionally managed by facilities management, I guess, who, again, aren't particularly technology oriented are they you know they're real estate players effectively who are managing buildings and that was one of the things we used to say in security is selling security is like selling insurance if it's going well you feel like you've wasted your money because nothing's happened and uh that that is true so that cost center aspect is is key and uh, if you're looking to keep your costs down there's nothing productive about security other than the prevention of something that prevents you from being in production so if you're on a mine site where you're mining and some mine sites I've serviced are doing $500,000 of uh, gold per day, if there's a, a security incident and they shut down for a week, well, that's a lot of money. And that, you know, it, you've got to think about it in that respect and to get uh, the smart, the smartest and best security you can to make sure there's no interruptions. You, just a, a two days of shutdown would pay for most mine site security for three or four months. So they're the sorts of ways you need to think about it. So therefore, the innovation itself is is quite actually it, it, it's necessary and it's very effective and efficient spend of money. Uh, it is productive on the basis that it's not anti-productive, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And how do you sell this? I, mean, I know you've got the SaaS model. We'll talk a little bit about that. But you effectively are the spokesperson for the brand at this stage, aren't you? I mean, imagine, imagine your contacts as well and your understanding of the industry. You probably have a lot of people you could talk to. So what's the, the marketing and sales strategy for the business at the moment? How is it working, especially now that we don't have trade shows yes. happening? I, I mean, that's trade seems to be really fantastic if we could get <laughs> into some of them. But I think uh, that's that's a that's a good model to actually talk to people directly. But you can't be everywhere at once, and uh, so you need to. I think we you need to be innovative with your marketing uh, as well. So we need to you know we need to create some messages around what what it, what it can and can't do. We need to be we can't travel to countries uh, where we're doing digital. We, obviously, we're doing some digital marketing, but uh, we can't travel to those companies, uh, those countries, to follow up on that digital marketing. So, yeah, we're going to have a we're going to have a mixture of you know direct direct selling, uh, and also you know you can go to our website and uh, and and download a trial. We're going to make it accessible for people to have a decent trial to get in, and have a look at it, and understand it. So, that's part of our our selling model, and I think. The other aspect of it is it's just cheap. Like we've we haven't built it based on what it we're not building it based on what it costs to build. We're building it on the basis that we feel that it's going to get uh, quite a large amount of sales. Uh, that that five percent shows me that uh, if we can get that to ten percent, I mean that you can double the market um, availability. So five percent is only about ten thousand companies using something like this. If you can get it to twenty thousand. Well, that's going to make a big difference, and so our our sale model is based on the on one of the assumptions is uh, underlying is that we feel that uh, we'll get a lot of um, uptake, and we're we're finding quite a lot of interest in it already, uh, and we didn't expect to be onboarding a large mine site in the first month, but we are. Hmm. Is there in your market because you're a SaaS platform, the equivalent of channel or resellers? Or you're, you know, for example, if you were selling accountancy software, you, your your channel would be the accountants who sell it to the small businesses, for example. In your industry, does that exist? Because that would make acquisition of large amounts of customers a lot easier, yeah. wouldn't it? I think that's definitely the case. We obviously want to be careful with our brand about who we ask to resell, but 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 actually, security companies themselves become the first um, avenue for reselling. So, for instance, one of the companies we spoke to in Papua New Guinea has about 80 or 90 sites and their thinking was, well, they said, can I actually on-sell this to my customers? So they want a subscription to manage their own internal operations, but one of their one of their customers, um, which is a large oil and gas client, uh, has has about 25 sites. They want they want to resell a subscription to them and then manage their security underneath their subscription. So they think they want to resell about 40 uh instances of the subscription so the the actual client themselves owns their own information subscription so i think there's a lot of capacity for security companies to not only take it but also at on sell as a proposition value proposition to their client saying look you don't you're using us for security right now and that's great and we're an innovative company we we're going to use this security risk manager platform but Maybe you should take a subscription out of it, and then you're not bound to us. But you can keep your security data and patrols, or, uh, data and all your incident management, and emergency response data, regardless of who you contract for security. And I think that's pretty important. I mean, if you if you take a, a like a shopping center and uh, and you can go back for five years and look at what 
you know, what kind of events have been occurring at various parts of the shopping centre, where have we had break-ins and that sort of thing. Where at the moment, if you change a security company or you change a security provider, all the information goes with them. So that reselling option, it's an immense opportunity for security companies to then sell it on and actually say, well, you can reduce your own business continuity management risk with regards to um, having your own subscription. So, yeah, I think it's actually that reselling arrangement. It's 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 going to be really important, uh, and it, and reselling it vertically to non-security companies that the companies that have an interest in maintaining their own data is going to be pretty important. I think that that's going to be an interesting growth strategy for you because. You know, a key part of it is you and your relationships with the industry. So therefore you have obviously limitations in scale with your, you know, your personal relationships, but those relationships may be the gatekeeping, the gate to hundreds of potential end clients, end users as well. And now your role in that becomes educating the, the channel those security companies or those it could be facilities companies or whoever it may be right that you know you're educating the channel for them it becomes a great value add to their clients effectively because they don't have to build an app they don't need to use pen and paper and now they've got this standardized for them if you know if they're using this across 10 clients they can effectively standardize their you know their operating procedures and for them that saves a lot of cost as well so, you know, that becomes a great win-win with your channel, especially with the SaaS model. Yeah, definitely. And we have one, one uh, customer we're dealing with and talking to them about, about coming on board. They've got operations 80 countries and they see this as a potential for them to have a single operating system across all their sites. And uh, it still leaves them free to have local security in whatever country they're, they're operating in. But then they require their local security contracts to to manage underneath our system. It'll give them a single way of reporting and tracking it, and I think that's going to be quite interesting for us. Yeah, yeah exciting, good. Well, help me understand as well. You mentioned twenty people in the team. Tell us a little bit about the team setup as well, and then I want to not forget about the pandemic, obviously, because that's what we are right now. But regarding the team. People who watch this show, some of them watch it because they're interested in being part of an interesting journey. And often it's the founder, his story or their story, that is the main reason that they step up and say, hey, I want to help build this thing too, you know, whether they are sales or whether they are, you know, developer. So tell us about the team setup and what your plans are. Yeah, it's, that's interesting because, yeah, we look at it as our story and we, we try not to focus in on any particular personality. I've got the security background, so I'm definitely good to talk to it. But, um, but we, we actually, we went backwards before we went forwards and we looked at some other startup companies about how they got started and some of their values. And some companies go off the rails by not looking at value and culture first, uh, values and culture first. And we, we did start there and, uh, very early on we had, well, what do we stand for? What kind of people are we? We're cross-cultural. We've got people in Australia. We've got people in Singapore. I actually have an employee in India. I actually have one in, in East Timor. So that's the team. We're actually in four different countries. and uh, But we have a core set of values and we focused in on what they are. And uh, and then we – and our, technolo- our chief technology officer, Dennis, is remarkable. Uh, and he has built a team that is, that is uh, equally – focused on development but also on quality so our, whilst about 60 
percent of our our staff are developers. A good thirty percent of the rest of them are, are testing, uh, quality assurance and testing, and uh, and we've built a process. Even though we're 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 not old company, but we've got I would say you know reasonably uh, robust processes for before we release anything. And uh, if we've been to we've had release for this product for for four weeks, and we we're not experiencing any major bugs and. That I think that shows that we've got a, a real commitment to quality and and building the best uh, software that we can. But I think the other thing that's really interesting for our team and our people is that uh, is that we've made an investment in technology, and we, you know we're looking to really see that through. And uh, and we've got a we've got a you know we've got a runway of other products of a similar nature that we're that we have in our our product. Um, roadmap that we're we're looking to move on to as well um but obviously security is our our first product fantastic and how are you funded now ian so yeah we've we've taken the plunge and we're self-funded so at the moment it's uh it's it's, uh my wife and i we've we've looked at we've lived these problems and lived in places where these problems occur and uh in the developing world and we've obviously lived in in the developed world as well but I think I think our software will work everywhere, uh, no matter where you are. And I think uh, I think it's a it's a not a risky investment as far as I see it because I've I've lived the problem. And if um, even if I was working for someone else as I have in the past, and if this was available, I would have spent my own money just to get it to make it easier for myself. Well, I see a lot of startups come on this show, and in recent years, probably the biggest wave. Most interesting group of startup founders is what I call the corporate dropout. So unlike the college dropout, who's the 19-year-old kid, there's this later stage develop where somebody has had, you know, 20, 25 years of experience in a specific sector. They know a pain point and they often drop out and say, look, I don't want to change the world. I just want to fix that thing because I've seen that so many different versions of that, different stripes and sizes in my industry. I want to fix it. So often they've got a little bit of capital, they've got the knowledge, they've got the network, and they don't have these, you know, grand ambitions about, you know, building this world-changing app like Facebook. They just want to fix this thing in this industry, which then can become, you know, a very valuable app. But the point is, is they know the problem right in front of them. And these make very interesting propositions i feel like and it's definitely not the narrative which it dominates the media about startups yet i would you know if you were to ask any investor who would you put your money on i'm sure they would say that group of people because they know the problem and they've seen it they're not sort of kite flying with some ideas that don't have yet a problem they got a solution but not actually solving a real world problem so those are the ones i find very interesting and i put you in that group in you know very positive terms i feel because you know you you haven't gone into this just because you think it's a sexy industry and you can sense the money you this is something that you've lived in for 25 years i guess of experience we're starting at the problem first and uh and once we can address the problem we're, we're confident about what will happen next and that's that's the key for us and and our staff we haven't i don't have you know a massive marketing team they're mostly developers we focus in on well what's the product how does the product work and is it the most excellent tech that we can build and that's what we've worked on because uh, in some of the places where i have worked you can't afford to have your systems fail so we you know we're 
that's why there's so much investment in testing, even for a startup product for us, because we can't, if you, if you're using our software and you, you have an emergency response, that can't fail. Uh, if you, if you seriously need help and you send out on it, cause you can do this on an app, you send out for an emergency response and you want to respond to the come. You can't just have it flashing on your phone, but no one else's. So that's one of the things we really, we, our, 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 one of our slogans is keeping people safe. And that's how we look at it. We want to get people safe um, through our software first. And uh, the other aspects about, you know, building a company and being successful, we feel love flow from that. That will come from it, absolutely. How has it been for you with the curveball that was the pandemic? Because that must have been as diligent as you have been in testing. Nobody could have predicted this, right? So that's changed a lot of things. So just a couple of questions. Firstly, how has that changed security operations generally? And how have you as a team survived and thrived? Yeah, uh, so for security operations, it's actually, it's, I think it's timely. It's, we didn't want to launch in this situation or plan on it, of course, but we, we've launched and it hasn't interrupted our launch. We think actually our software is probably, as I sort of alluded to earlier, is, is more relevant than ever in that it allows more visibility and management outcomes without actually having to go to your site. And, uh, so which is in, you know, these times of limited travel, um, restrictions and limited movement and limited concentration of people. Uh, a smart solution that enables you to remotely manage your site and get visibility on it seems to be the perfect timing, actually. So the type of product that we have and what it does is I think it's actually um, quite good and and we, we were quite happy to launch when we did and, and double down on it really because we feel that as um, people and companies navigate their COVID um, situation wherever they are, there's going to be a return to work and a new normal around that and uh, and less travel, less visits to sites is going to be part of that mix and uh, we think that we're right in the, in the sort of the heart of giving a solution to that for a lot of operations. Um, so that's that's important. Um, from our from our team, uh, it's it's been interesting. I think for me, I've been managing running remote operations for a, a very long time and very rarely have I lived in a country where I've actually completely working. So it's been okay for me. It, it's I'm, I'm familiar with that and, you know, we're a tech company. So um, working from home hasn't been particularly that difficult. Uh, it's been, been fine for us. We put our people in every location and work from home in late January. So I think we're probably ahead of it in terms of that thinking. Um, and we've, you know, we've only had limited return to work since then. And, I think it's, um, and it becomes individually hard to, for people to keep motivated. I think that's been, you know, that's a challenge why people get used to it. But I think, uh, for some people, I think they've, we, we, we did actually ask one week about, well, what's the thing that you, you benefited? We have a weekly catch up for the whole team. And sometimes we talk work, sometimes we don't. Um, one week I just asked people to share what, you know, what's been one of the benefits of COVID. Everyone's talking about, you know, spending time with people. Um, cooking and uh you know and the small pleasures like coffee or whatever the case may be and it's you know they're not they're not sort of saying oh my work's got better what they're actually saying that they're the things that they identify as being important to themselves and their life um become clearer into focus so i think there's a lot of benefits for this time for a lot of people as well if you if you consider the world um, with the glass half full yeah absolutely and you know if you consider your 
your background as well, Ian, and yourself and your wife, you, you've both lived in, you know, outside of your comfort zone and you've lived in, I guess, challenging situations and challenging environments. You know, you, you have lived in different countries and that sort of agile mindset was there from before you started the business that transfers into the business and the culture. I mean, you've mentioned culture and really culture starts with the founders, their attitudes, their approach to things. And then now being forced into this situation that for you, it's just, just another situation that you've dealt with them throughout your life. And now I think that translates into the product as well, dealing with, you know, a, a security operations product in the pandemic is that a lot of companies are not ready, like they're not agile enough to adapt to change. And yet you you already have that, you have that situation. And then so when this shock happens to the system, it's those companies like yours that are agile that benefit because people turn to them and say, hey, we have to take this digital because the practices that we had in the pre-pandemic world are just not feasible now so we need a digital practice and we don't have anything who is there and then you're there you're you're ready because you're agile enough so i feel you know that the pandemic is a shift and yet that shift will shift away from those who are very centralized and slow and have a set way of working to and favor those who are agile you know the smaller nimble operators like yourself so the fact you launched in the middle of a pandemic, in hindsight, I'm sure you'll say was a wise move. Obviously, you know, that was probably not how it was planned, but in years to come, that would probably be the best thing for you. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, I think it's inherent in our name, security risk, is that there's some risk inherent in, in the industry that we're, we're looking to service. And, uh, and for, you know, uh, for me, I've, I've seen a bit of risk uh, activate in certain situations and uh, i'm not afraid of it and uh, it's about being able to recognize the bits that you can control and the things within your control and using what's available to you to to reduce that risk and and i think our, our product it really does just give an opportunity for security companies to to, to seize upon it and reduce their operational risk with, and smarten up their, their operations and and there's a lot of innovation in a lot of industries where there's a lot of smart tools, but security has been one that hasn't really traditionally brought those on. And there's, there's a real opportunity there for security companies to start using uh, things like the Security Risk Manager platform um, from now, I'd say. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's change it. So for those people that are listening or watching, it could be people who want to join your team, people who want to try the product. Maybe there are potential investors out there who want to talk to you, distributors, resellers. Who are you looking to speak to on your um, list of preferred contacts? And all, that's the first part. And then also, how would you like them to contact you? What's the best way? So firstly, who are you looking to hear from out there? Yeah, our, our primary target in terms of our, our launch and our product is security companies. I think that's where that's what we built. We built the software to solve the answer for those security companies. And but I think it's any company that has a security aspect to their operation, which is almost every company uh, to some degree, uh, will find a great benefit to it. So if you're a, a, an apartment complex or a condominium and you have um, you know, multi-story high-rise or 
or multiple locations. So any any company that has a site and a security requirement and uh, they need to track incidences or visitor management, people coming in and out, uh, whether that be uh, apartment complexes, shopping centres, they can all benefit from using our software. Our, our core market is is security companies. Uh, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, www.securityrisk.com and uh, start a free trial and have a look at the software. Uh, you won't be disappointed. And then for companies that maybe security isn't your core business, then, you know, get in contact with, with us anyway and, and we can work with you about whether it, there's aspects of the, the system that you could use immediately. We think that some customers will maybe want to they'll, they'll access our software, but they just want to use the incident management part of it. And they don't want to. They won't want to use the the guard uh, management side of it, which I think is fine. It, it, it's a suite of products, but you don't need to use it all. And there's a lot of value there for companies just to use that one thing that's relevant to them. Uh, so that's uh, yeah. So security companies at its core, um, get in contact, get started. Uh, other other companies that have any aspect of security, incident management, emergency response, or transport, secure transport of movement of items and or people in in vehicles, um, they would definitely want to be contacting us as well. Fantastic. So all of the above, securityrisk.com, go and try it out. As Ian says, you won't be disappointed. And then I guess anything outside of that, they can reach out to you through LinkedIn. Is that yes, where yeah, getting? Yeah, LinkedIn is good for us. And uh, um, there's nothing remarkable, ian.stewart at securityrisk.com. If you want to email me. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Tell Tell Ian you, you listen to the story as well and what it meant to you. And maybe there is a conversation to be had there as well. Ian Stewart, everybody from Security Risk. Ian, thanks for joining us today. That was a, a thoroughly enjoyable walk through the world of security. I mean, I don't understand it from your perspective. You've got a lot of experience. But what I think I was impressed by, you know, the fact that you've approached it from almost quite a, a very focused, um, you know, look at the problem at the ground level that people have on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, it's easy. I I like the fact in your story, you started off with this other way of potentially solving a problem that didn't exist with the Uber model, but then you arrived at really what the problem was. And I think that that says a lot to potential partners as well about, you know, the way that you're tackling the problem. All the best with the journey. Let's uh, hope it's onwards and upwards from here and global domination. At least get it from 5% to 10%. That's the challenge, right? We'll get working on it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, get, yeah, update us as well. We'd love to hear we'll from you in, further down the line what the latest uh, chapter is in the, the story of security risk. Ian Stewart, everybody. Ian, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks, Graham. Thanks very much. That was Pitch Deck Asia. My name is Graham Brown. Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice We give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders, go and check out our SoundCloud channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. That's pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us, and feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.